Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. The DC Insider Employer Update brings you the current insights and expertise from the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from Fortney Scott. Each of our episodes highlight the most important updates and analysis that all employers need to know, and they need this information so they can understand and react to key federal developments that are affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Joining us today in the call, welcome back three of our attorneys from Fortney Scott that bring special familiarity with the workings of Congress, as well as a lot of experience with the federal agencies. David Fortney, a former acting solicitor of the Department of Labor, co-founder of the Institute of Workplace Equality, and co-founder of Fortney Scott. David, so happy to have you back again today. Hey, Pete. It's great to be back, and uh, we got a lot to talk about in this podcast. We sure do. And let's welcome back Bert Fishman. Bert is a former Deputy Solicitor of Labor for National Operations, one of our perennial D.C. super lawyers in labor and employment. Bert, as always, I'm sure you've got something to say today. Well, I hope so, Pete. It's nice to be here. And last but not least, we have Nita Beecher. Nita brings a great blend of experience. She's been both in-house counsel, she's been an executive with a leading employer network, and now she complements the rest of the team as a member of the firm. Nita, glad to have you. Thanks, Pete. We're really looking forward to this podcast. It'll be a lot of fun. It will be. So, David, let's start with you. This is our third episode covering the first 100 days. It's moving like lightning, I'm telling you. So, it's going to be interesting. Let's kick off today the discussion with you. What's happening with the cabinet confirmations? Well, after a lot of delay, finally, it looks like we're going to get the Secretary of Labor confirmed. As Bert always has said, personnel is policy. So getting Marty Walsh confirmed to be the Secretary of Labor is a key part of the uh, administration's effort to implement its policy. Walsh has just been voted uh, through what's called a cloture vote, which means the Senate can now vote on his confirmation by 60 to 38. All that translates, he will be confirmed next Monday, next week, and ready to go. And we expect the Labor Department to uh, start rolling in greater earnest. Now, his deputy, number two, her name is Julie Sue. She's the nominee. She had a pretty rough hearing this week, confirmation hearing before the committee. Uh, Sue comes from being the former uh, Labor Secretary for the state of California, and she faced a lot of very pointed questions as to what happened to about $11 billion in unemployment benefits that perhaps were mispaid, including to prisoners. So it remains to be seen whether she makes it through the gauntlet or not. You know, the really, it's kind of unprecedented that we don't even have nominees for the key positions like solicitor, uh, wage and hour administrator, OSHA, one of the most important DOL agencies. And what this means is because of the inherent delay in the confirmation process, when Walsh is confirmed, his A-team is not going to be there. And it's not going to be there for a month or two. And it's something that's puzzling that the president and Walsh have not at least nominated people for those key slots. And that's not the only thing that's in trouble. Nita is also going on at the agencies. Well, you also have no general counsel nominated for the EEOC after President Biden fired the Trump general counsel two weeks ago. And so that leaves an opening there with, uh, we already have Republicans in the majority at the EEOC as well. So it's interesting. At this point, we look, and of course, the Senate's just about ready to say spring break, we're going to hit the beaches, and they're going to be off for two weeks. So all of this process that has been the focus for the last six weeks or so is about to grind to a halt in terms of confirmations. Oh, my gosh. So, Bert, I mean, with the Senate out at the beach, 
Is everything going to kind of come to a full stop there or what are we going to do? Well, you know, the headlines always go to Congress and to the White House. But in fact, the agencies are busy and will continue to be busy for employers at the on the wage and hour front. The wage and hour division just rescinded, just published two rescissions of two Trump uh, regulations on independent contractor and joint employer and has also told the regions that they can go and enforce in a way that was not true during the Trump administration. David, what's going on at the other agencies? Well, I, I want to pick up on that thread that Nita identified for our CEOC. You know, we have now at least an acting general counsel. So this is kind of tracking like the National Labor Relations Board. The person confirmed for a period of time has been fired. A career person has been put in, Gwen Ream in this case, to serve. And in this, in this instance, though, we don't even have a nominee yet. But I know that OFCCP is beginning to roll off a little bit. Exactly, David. I think uh, OFCCP, as soon as Marty Wash gets in place on Monday, uh, we already know that Jenny Yang, who's the director of OFCCP, she did not have to be confirmed, unlike the other sub-agencies. She's already told everyone pretty much what her agenda is, uh, which is systemic discrimination. And we'll talk a little bit more about that shortly. I think employers really need to buckle up on systemic race and gender discrimination issues, as well as uh, pay equity, which is going to be another hot topic. But OSHA is the hot topic, David, and someone we really expected to hear from. Yeah, this is something that I think caught everyone by surprise. Uh, This is candidly the first unforced error that we have seen the Biden administration make at the Labor Department. And it's before Marty Walsh even shows up. Recall, on day one, within hours of being confirmed, President Biden told OSHA, I want you to evaluate uh, COVID. He then issued a further executive order saying, and give turn in your homework by March 15th. And, and specifically address whether this new regulation, an emergency temporary standard, is going to issue. Well, guess what? OSHA didn't do it. They didn't get it done. It's almost like they forgot that a proposed regulation, like an emergency temporary standard, has to actually be reviewed and approved by the White House, by the Office of Management and Budget. So that pushed back for another two to three weeks. We know that one of the biggest stakeholders for the Labor Department, the AFL-CIO, Big Labor, they are mad as a wet hen about that. And honestly, it does fall a little short of the president's commitment. We're bringing people back to work. They're going to get the vaccine and the workplace safety and health is going to be addressed. OSHA is not there. In the interim, they've issued more guidance, not enforceable as a regulation. And that's what they're continuing to rely on. So largely, it's more of the same, which is exactly what the Biden administration had promised would not occur, and certainly not at this point. I was surprised by that. I'm really concerned because, you know, what are employers supposed to do? We already have a bunch of lawsuits uh, being filed against employers by employees, and employers don't really know if they're going to reopen how to do it. Yeah, well, there is a significant disconnect on that, and I think the short answer is, for the next two to three weeks, status quo continues. Wow. Some of those changes, you know, some things move like lightning, some things move like maple syrup. And that visualization of the wet hen is something I'm going to have to get, get wrap my arms around, David. So, Bert, let's move over, if we can, to some developments uh, that are also particularly important to employers. What's shaping up, for example, on gig workers or some of the other things that are happening? 
Well, Pete, uh, you put your finger on probably the hottest issue for employers. It's been the hottest issue for years, and I think it's going to come to uh, come to a head. As I mentioned briefly earlier, the Labor Department has already rescinded the Trump era uh, regulation on independent contractor and on joint employer, which means they're going to redraft those, and I probably issue them at some point over the next quarter. They have to do something quickly with joint employer which franchisees and franchisors will be very concerned about. And the identification of who's an employee and who's an independent contractor is absolutely critical to the modern economy. We have an idea that the uh, Biden administration is going to uh, issue a regulation that looks very much like it was in the Obama years, which means as many people as possible will be designated as employees and as few as possible will be independent contractors. And the implications of that are vast, because if you're an employee, you're eligible for minimum wage, you're eligible for overtime, you're protected by the civil rights laws. If you're an independent contractor, you get none of that. And the trend lines are moving in all kinds of directions. Many people have noticed that in the United Kingdom, the Supreme Court there just decided that Uber drivers were employees. There's a kind of national trend. California did the same thing with AB5. David, I know you were involved in some of that. What do you have to say? Well, I, I think that with respect to particularly the union-related, uh, whether the worker can or cannot unionize, uh, that is the issue that has commanded a huge amount of particular focus, particularly by the AFL-CIO, who we keep mentioning because they are such a driver on the policies of this administration. But the uh, so-called PRO Act, and that's the Protect the Right to Organize, PRO Act, P-R-O, PRO Act, that the House has now passed is very broad and broadly extends this right to unionize uh, to all of these, what today we view as independent contractors. It's really targeted to pick up Uber, Lyft, these, the workers that are working through platforms. And it would fund, and it has a number of other fundamental changes uh, to union organizing. But in terms of its relationship to this, who's a contractor, it marks a concerted effort, a concerted effort by the DOL and the National Labor Relations Board through, through a statutory change to see if they can recast which workers are employees. The other thing is the impact that these changes for independent contractor and joint employer will have on other laws. And we'll talk about OFCCP in a minute, but you know, where employers, it's not just for uh, purposes of joining unions. It's, as Bert mentioned briefly, it's also for coverage and how your employers are going to be held liable. And there's one other thing I should point out, and this this conflict between the DOL and the, the NLRB, uh, it's on the front page of every paper. It's the Amazon election. That's going to bring everything to a head because there's going whoever wins is going to have to go to the NLRB. The NLRB is going to have to certify that election. There will be unfair labor practice charges. The general counsel who is acting is going to reach a decision. Whatever that decision is, it's going to be challenged in court because there is a dispute as to whether the acting general counsel is legitimately in his role. No matter what that acting general counsel decides, the board, which is Republican dominated, may take a different view. And the continuing fight within the NLRB and between the NLRB and the DOL is gonna probably absorb 
the intentions and the resources of both agencies for the rest of the year. You know, a thought that occurs to me as we talk about uh, workers being reclassified, our friends at OFCCP also are likely to get into what effectively has traditionally been wage hour enforcement. Used to be you could rely on the labor department agencies to be silo or stovepipe, you know, and they no one they wouldn't talk, they wouldn't coordinate. Well, once the labor department redefines who are workers, to Nita's point earlier about it makes a difference whether the worker, if they're an employee, they they are subject to the EEO laws. That also means they have to be part of your affirmative action plan, and it also means that the uh, OFCCP and their audits are going to be looking to see if those people are properly classified. And it also means that they will make referrals over to wage hour for enforcement. So a single audit by one agency can result in multiple enforcement uh, liabilities. That's a big deal, I think. And I think that's coming. And David, I think you mentioned OFCCP. I think it's time we turn to them for a minute. Yeah, It's clear Uh, Before we go down that road, I want to reinforce what David just said. Those agencies, Wage Hour, OFCCP, EEOC, Department of Justice, they're all going to be working together as they did not for four years and even prior to that. But there's one thing that I wanted to remind everyone is that under the Trump administration, OFCCP put in a process by which they're asking federal contractors to certify that they're in compliance with all of their affirmative action obligations. And they will be required to do this annually. This has not yet been approved by OMB, but we expect it to be approved at any time. And it will also have a platform by which employers can upload the AAPs when they have audits is what the proposal is. It is possible that OFCCP will require federal contractors to upload their plans annually. That was not the initial recommendation, but this administration could clearly change that. David, is that not right? Oh, it's 100% right. And, And this certification point, I want to make sure people understand, a certification is going to be subject to the penalties of perjury. So what this means is that it will enable OFCCP to play hardball. Perjury means in the the federal enforcement scheme that if you submit a false statement to a federal agency, that is potentially answerable as a Title 18 crime. The referral goes to the U.S. attorney, and the U.S. attorney considers whether to pursue criminal prosecution for a false statement. So it will amp up the level of attention to what has been, you know, perhaps a little loose in the federal contractor space on their AAPs and other regulatory compliance. Wow, everybody, this sounds like uh, our first 100 days. I think when we took on this project, we thought, well, let's just cover what's going on. But as the story unfolds, it just gets more and more complicated. So to our listeners, stay tuned. There's a lot more coming. Anything else we want to cover on the Horizon Group? I would say that uh, to go back to Congress, once they come back, uh, there are a lot of uh, pressure mounting on the filibuster issue. And I think that will dominate Congress for the next several months. I think people really need to watch OFCCP. Once uh, we get a secretary of labor, they're going to be really active. Final thought I have is that OSHA emergency temporary standard on COVID, that regulation will issue. I feel like they're trying to make a liar of me, but I'm telling you, in two to three weeks, it's going to be on the books. Wow. So thanks, everybody. Look forward to our next update. 
For those who would like to connect with David, Bert, or Nita, or any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting FortneyScott.com. On the site, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as sign up to download your free copy of the DC Insider Report and receive future updates. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks for listening.